Hey guys, my name is Jordan Koss. Welcome to the Almost Essential Podcast. This 16-episode series is based off my final project for my Doctorate of Ministry degree at Fuller Theological Seminary. The title of that final project is Almost Essential Evangelists, Improving Retirement Asset Accumulation for Mainstream Church of Christ Pastors. In this series, we will interview eight different specialists in eight separate episodes. And we will also interview two pastors from each of eight different regions around the U.S. This final project was inspired by 10 years of ministry in three different churches of Christ from Georgia to Northern California from 2010 to 2019, as well as my time as a financial professional in training in 2020. That is where I learned about the retirement crisis America is in and will be experiencing in the coming years. Now, I have three goals for this podcast. One, provide an accessible, denomination-specific qualitative conversation for Church of Christ pastors and leaders. Two, introduce leaders and listeners to retirement vehicles and strategies they may not have heard about before. And three, provide encouragement, motivation, and knowledge to save for the last third of life. Thank you for listening and enjoy. All right, welcome once again to the Almost Essential Podcast. This is episode seven. Uh, we're grateful that you are watching and listening along with this uh, 16 episode series as we make our way through talking with uh, special guests and with pastors from around the country about the topic of accumulating uh, assets for retirement for Church of Christ pastors. Um, with us today again is our co-host Lars Coburn. Lars, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, so uh, here at uh... Bushnell University in Eugene, Oregon, serve as the church relations director, director of university relations, and uh, get to teach a few classes for them as an adjunct professor on um, managerial finance and master of arts in leadership. And uh, thinking a little bit about personal finance is something that uh, is fun for me. Um, my wife and I, after eight years of doing ministry, still kind of see my life work here at the university as ministry. And so I'm invested in this uh, topic personally, got to know Jordan in youth ministry, and then um, kind of walk along as he's uh, discovered some of these research things and uh, finished his program. And so I'm grateful to be part of the podcast. It's kind of the, the fruit of his labors at Fuller Seminary, the place I got my master's as well. So yeah. glad Great. to be part of it. Yeah, thank you, Lars. And with us today, or this evening, rather, is uh, our special guest, Dr. James Knapp from Southeastern Oklahoma State University. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so uh, tell our audience and our viewers a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Jamie Knapp. Uh, I'm a sociology professor at Southeastern Oklahoma State University. Uh, this is my 27th year. I'm a graduate of Harding University twice. Okay. Not that I failed once, but a bachelor's <laughs> degree and a master's degree, and then a doctorate degree in sociology from University of North Texas. And um, in addition to my teaching, uh, I'm a social researcher and uh, mostly dealing with applied topics, uh, as I like to say, things that might have some benefit to normal people and not just be you know, an academic exercise. And so that's kind of been where my focus is in the research I've done. Great, great, great. Awesome. Well, we're going to kick things off now. Um, and so 
question one is kind of dig a little deeper, unpack a little bit more about how you came to study the subject of Church of Christ pastors and retirement as part of your work as a sociologist. Well, I'm a lifelong member of the Church of Christ. Uh, and so, and I've moved around some, and so I've had a chance to, uh, you know, to be with uh, different congregations of different sizes in different parts of the country. Um, when I came out of graduate school and, and first started at Southeastern, one of the things I wanted to do was, uh, again, some applied research. My interest was aging, but also aging connected to religion, not, not a philosophical uh, stance on religion, but more of just the, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, you know, congregational life, perhaps would be a better way of saying it. Okay. And so I did uh, some research on how congregations are responding to the aging of their members mm -hmm. and uh, did some academic things, some publications and uh, presentations with that, and then wrote a book uh, called The Grain of the Flock, Okay, published in 2003. And uh, after that mountaintop experience, I was looking for the next topic that was somewhat related. And uh, uh, I'm not sure how I became aware of it, but uh, I think the idea of doing something focused on uh, ministers and retirement was somewhere in the mix. And so that uh, I kind of moved in that direction, along with some other things. But that was one of the things I began to pursue. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. That's awesome. And the, the graying of the flock, what, uh, I wasn't aware that you wrote a book. That's awesome. And so what was the topics? Unpack that a little bit for us. Well, I surveyed um, several hundred, um, primarily Church of Christ congregations. That, that was the basis of the survey research. And there was some qualitative research on top of that. But uh, just, again, uh, exploratory type of research. Uh, no one had done anything like that within churches of Christ. There were, you know, there was some work outside of churches of Christ. Yeah. And so uh, I took my interest in and awareness of the church of Christ, along with an interest in um, how churches respond to the, the, uh, the graying of the flock or the aging of their members. And it really was a, uh, it was a survey just focused on senior adult ministry and, um, you know, what churches are doing in response to uh, and, and with their older members. And uh, the subtitle is called The Grain of the Flock, A New Model for Ministry, kind of a new approach to the 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 new uh, senior adult and some of the expectations that uh, that they have. And of course, that book was published uh, 20 years ago. And so uh, it's there's probably even more recent uh, ideas that would need to be put in about expectations of senior adult ministry. So that's what that was about. And then uh, after that was published, uh, expanded, I thought I would focus on the baby boomers okay. and, and their view of senior adult ministry. And the more I got into that, the more I became interested in Gen X, the more I became interested in Gen X, became interested in millennials. And, and before I knew it, I was focusing on how churches respond to having multiple generations under the same roof. And um, I wrote a, a small book on that called Understanding the Generations okay. and um, did some speaking at, at churches and, and some academic stuff with churches as well. And I found that churches are far more interested in understanding the generations than they were with senior adult ministry. And so that's kind of where the <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Now, I came across your work due to one particular Christian Chronicle article 
it's like I was like trying to find something about Church of Christ research, academic research about pat you know Church of Christ pastors in retirement. And I did a Google search, finally found this link to a Christian Chronicle article where they were talking about your first study where you did um you know you you surveyed over 200 texas church of christ pastors about you know their retirement realities and uh that's what yeah that's how i came to be aware of what you have done and then i found out about your second national study as well and you mentioned at the beginning i believe of one of those articles uh the problem of the void which you've already mentioned the problem of the void or lack of published empirical literature and research focused exclusively on the retirement experience of clergy, and I would say in Church of Christ too, perhaps even broader, you could say maybe. Why do you think that this is the case within Churches of Christ? What, what that we haven't done much research on ourselves? Yeah. Uh, because we're not research-oriented. <laughs> that, that's what it comes down to. I mean, we okay. um, Church of Christ congregations are locally autonomous uh, in theory. Uh, we don't really have an institutional structure that holds us in place. We have, you know, informal things. We we kind of, uh, we hover around our Christian colleges and universities. And, and in the past, we hovered around, you know, some publications, the firm foundation and, right. and things of that nature. But we don't really have a an institutional uh, body or structure. We don't have a research division, anything like that. Okay. Okay. And then our and then Church of Christ um, colleges and universities really haven't been research oriented either. I think mm -hmm. they're a little more now than they used to be. At least a couple of them are. Mm -hmm. uh, but our, our our as in Church of Christ colleges and universities have been primarily teaching institutions, and uh, and teaching and matchmaking, ma uh, matchmaking, and but not a whole lot <laughs> of research. So yeah, three swings in a ring, right? That's right. Um, that's right. <sighs> Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just had uh, somebody ask me about our uh, things like that when it comes to dating and MRS degrees and all of those things. But I, yeah, I think you, you're talking about research. Um, part of that is we're, you know, often bent towards training pastors for ministry. And so as a sociologist, um, I'd be curious what you what you think of pastors and their um, tendencies toward research. Did, did you find in this that or, or ministers, I should say, in the Churches of Christ, too, um, do we tend to be kind of against research um, in, in your mind when it comes to these kind of topics or um I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit of a weird well, question. Well, I, but... I don't know. Um, I know that, uh, you know, we had a respectable response rate to our surveys. Uh, you always like to have more than what you get. Uh, but, you know, when, when you're when you're surveying, for instance, across the country, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know who you are. And so you're, you're hoping out of the goodness of their heart or their interest in the topic that they'll respond. Yeah. Um, I think some probably did not want to participate because they just, you know, that research wasn't their thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there were actually, you know, a lot of folks who, who, uh, seemed to be quite eager to respond and to include some written comments on the surveys in areas where they were uh, asked for additional, or some cases they put additional comments in areas they weren't asked for, uh, mm -hmm. their comments, but so some were quite eager to share, uh, their perspective. And it seemed to be, 
as it relates to this topic, there seemed to be, again, at least among those who responded, uh, an eagerness to um, uh, to speak on the topic. Great, great, great. Yeah, and you started in Texas. Now, uh, why Texas? I think we have a, a perhaps I can imagine why you did, since it's like the you know the Bible Belt of Church of Christ. But is that is that why, or is there another reason? Well, you know, Tennessee and Texas are the yeah. the, the biggest, uh, the hotbeds of churches of Christ, and really, uh, you could almost uh, lay the Church of Christ map on top of the Southern Baptist map and see the same thing. We're, we're very strong in the South, the Southeast, and and all. Uh, a lot of our churches aren't as large necessarily no. as, as Southern Baptist churches, but uh, you know, we're clearly we're in the Bible Belt. Um, mm-hmm. Texas, uh, my co-author on the first study uh, was Jim Hughes. Uh, Jim was actually a senior adult minister in Dallas. Um, he was one of the few folks who who was, was fully employed to do senior adult ministry. Uh, Jim has a doctorate from uh, Nebraska uh, and w- was eager to be involved in some research, but because of his work, he was much more of a practitioner. He just didn't have time or resources to do research. So, um when I approached him about, you know, joining and, and being a part of, of uh, the the research, he was very eager to do that. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, we just uh, we chose Texas. Sometimes, when you first study something, um, you know, you want to do a pilot study to work out mm-hmm. any uh, wrinkles, any kinks that you might have in your survey. And so we thought, well, probably better if we started in Texas than if we started this in New Hampshire, where we would end up surveying. You know, just a couple dozen. Yeah, preachers. yeah, yeah. So that's how we, I think, ended up in Texas. Great, great, great. Yeah, and so your two studies were published in 2009 and 2017, and you focused on housing and financial preparedness and how they impacted Churches of Christ pastors' decision to full, either fully, partially, or not retire at all. To, to achieve this, you asked them four questions. Your third question is, was most relevant to my study, what I'm doing with Fuller, and that third question was, what sources of income are available to members of the clergy? What did you find pertaining to that question in, in the first, second, in both studies? Uh, a very heavy reliance on Social Security, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, I'm not sure that's unique to uh, yeah. to ministers. I think if you look across the country, uh, that, that's uh, that's an issue. I, I think younger folks have recognized the need to... Uh, go outside of social security, but um, uh, there was a heavy reliance on social security. Um, and then just sort of a, I offered several different options and I was just asking them to indicate whether they had that or, or, or did not have that. Right. And, uh, you know, I think there were two, two of the categories were more than half of the respondents said, yes, I, I have that. Uh, and that it threw up some uh, some red flags and some sure. alarm bells went off because um, uh, yeah that's uh, people don't don't live off of social security uh, in their retirement anymore. Once upon a time they might have, but that's that's you know that's just not enough. Um, there were a few ministers who who uh, came from uh, another career, and so they already had a pension in place. And that was going to help them. Uh, some were going to rely on the retirement income of their spouse. Mm-hmm. She had a job and was going to get a pension or have some sort of thing. And then there was also um, uh, there was there was a, a noticeable percentage 
of respondents who were living in, in a house provided by the church. And that was very alarming because, um, you know, that's um, when, when you mix a heavy reliance on Social Security and uh, the absence of any home equity when one enters their retirement years, that's a, uh, that's a recipe for some problems financially. Yeah. 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 Lars, you have follow up? Yeah. So, Jamie, I'm curious, uh, as you were doing this study um, and then maybe branching out to some of your anecdotal uh, research of just the churches you are familiar with, did you come across any um, demographic information that would say, you know, ministers are kind of staying in the pulpit longer than maybe they the generations in the past that maybe were almost delaying um, and I, I know at least my anecdotal experience in Southern California was that we had pastors kind of in the pulpit um, 10 plus years longer. And there was kind of this group of Generation X, uh, you know, the Xer generation that were either associates longer or, you know, coming to the pulpit later or even exiting ministry because there weren't any open pulpits for them. Um, I, I, I don't know that because we haven't done the research for it, but I was just curious if you noticed anything that was similar to that anecdotal experience that I had. Uh, no, but that's not really where my focus was. I, I don't, uh, I don't question what you're saying, but uh, I really didn't have anything in the study that, that focused on, on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, a follow-up to uh, the second question that I forgot to ask is that, um, I didn't find much other than your two studies. Is there anything else that you're aware of other than your two studies in terms of academic research on the subject for Churches of Christ? Uh, not that I'm aware of. No, yeah. I've, not, uh, I've not looked as recently as you probably have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're in the middle of working on you know, your, your doctoral uh, research. Uh, you're probably... Uh, very familiar with what's available, but, but I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, okay. the, uh, Abilene Christian university has their annual salary survey, right. uh, out of which there's some information focused on retirement. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, sociologists in the church of Christ are like birds that swim and, and <laughs> fish that fly. They, there just aren't very many of us. Uh, but we need you guys. We need you guys. Yeah. yeah. But, sociology has such a reputation as being uh, liberal that sometimes it doesn't fit real well with, uh, you know, the more conservative approach our, our Christian church of Christ colleges and universities have. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Have, so have you gotten any kind of negative pushback at all in your experience? No, uh, mm-hmm. I've not, but, um, when I was coming out of, of graduate school, I think there were five, uh, PhDs in sociology who were affiliated with the Church of Christ. Okay. Uh, and that number may have gone up a little bit, but then some of those folks uh, have since retired. So there just aren't very many of us. And so, um, you know, the, the what I think is the unique angle we bring of being able to do uh, solid uh, survey research in particular mm-hmm. uh, is, is um, there just aren't a whole lot of folks uh, who do that. Right, right, right. Yeah. 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 I, I, I wasn't able to find anything else besides your two studies and maybe there is something, I'm just a bad researcher, but I don't know. I couldn't find anything else. So, uh, that's a very well, very well, maybe the case. I'm just bad at researching. 
Um, but I don't think so. I, I, I think you would know if, if, yeah. uh, if it was out there. Yeah. And I, and I think I would think that you would kind of be aware of, of other things as well. And that kind of, that, that kind of tells me there really isn't that at what I found, which is nothing is, I guess there is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So question four, uh, you yeah, mentioned just real quick yeah, on ahead. that, yeah. Jordan, before uh-huh. we get into the next bit was I was just, so Jamie, what would be a, um, a suggestion you might have for a autonomous congregational movement that is loosely affiliated with itself, mm-hmm. you know, um, 1906 or whatever we get told by the U S government, we're going to be since, you know, on the census differently. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure we were really that paying that close of attention to that stuff. Um, is it through the Christian colleges? Is it through some other entity? How, how would we promote scholarship um, and, and communication better in your mind? Um, just as a, as kind of an observation from a sociologist point of view. You mean in terms of social research? Yeah, because, I think I mean, there are uh, obviously there are people who are doing research now at Christian in Church of Christ uh, colleges, and universities. But this particular kind of research, uh, I think, just because there aren't very many of us, you know, PhD sure. trained sociologists, uh, it, it probably would take uh, someone who who had the credential and who had a position uh, at one of the colleges to really be the champion of it. Uh, the, the second author on the second study, Charlie Pruitt, uh, was at Abilene Christian University, and he has since retired, I think at least from full-time, uh, and maybe completely retired, but, uh, he was the director of the, of the, uh, uh, the Pruitt Gerontology Center, and, uh, because he had a PhD in sociology, we've been friends for many years, uh, he was a great resource because, um, you know, he had, some institutional support, and uh, he had a bit of a of a uh, a platform at least in terms of the study of aging, and he had a, a good affiliation with um, uh, the uh, College of Biblical Studies. And Charlie himself w- w- had been uh, a missionary before he right. decided to go into graduate school. So someone like that could really be the champion of a cause like this. But I'm not sure who the next person is going to be to to step into that role. Yeah. Lars. Go right ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Go get a PhD. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think of this as like where uh, Pepperdine has partnered with Barna mm-hmm. on different research projects. Yeah. And I know uh, as I'm getting more familiar with the Disciples of Christ and their work um, through, but they, of course, have this structure um, mm-hmm. and some of these things that we don't necessarily have. So I think it's a unique challenge mm-hmm. um, that even our Christian colleges may struggle to fill um, because our churches are not, you know, um, as, as affiliated with each other. Um, so I appreciate your thought there, but I, uh, I was just curious. So yeah, question four. Okay. Great. Question four. Uh, you mentioned that you found very similar results between your pilot study in Texas and your national study. Um and across the country. So what were those very similar results between those the pilot and the national study? Uh, well, on a um, without you know digging through every single uh, line of, of the right study of the article, uh, again, just the um, 
I would call it the the lack of a three-legged stool of retirement income. Okay. Uh, and that's, you know, from, from gerontologists and probably from, you know, um, retirement advisors and things of that nature. They, they talk about the three-legged stool of retirement. And mm-hmm. basically that means that for a person to be in uh, on, on solid footing for retirement income, they need social security. Right. That's typically one leg. Mm-hmm. They need some sort of a um, of a pension. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps they're in a, in a kind of job that still has a pension plan or a, a 401k, 403b, IRA, something like that would be a second leg. Mm-hmm. And then they need something else. They need, um, you know, some uh, a um, a plump Personal savings, savings. account. Mm-hmm. They need. Um, uh, income from rental property that they may have acquired, uh, something like that. And that, that creates the third leg. Yeah. Uh, if one of those legs is missing, well, you know what happens if you have a three-legged stool and, and it only has two legs, well, then it's, it's very uneven. It's a, it's a constant challenge to keep things balanced. And so I think that was the, the, the biggest thing that emerged out of it. Mm -hmm. More specifically, again, pretty heavy reliance on social security and, and what seemed to be some underdeveloped, uh, options uh, in other retirement vehicles. And then the thing I kept coming back to was the what I consider to be a really disturbing pattern of, of still a, a noticeable percentage of, of preachers who were living in housing provided by the church. Not that right. they were getting a housing allowance to, to pay for the house they purchased, but they were actually living in you know what many would call the parsonage. Right. You know, and the problem there is that, um, you know, you're you're missing out on a golden opportunity to save for retirement. Uh, and, and then there's also that the crisis of what happens when that individual is no longer the preacher or the pastor at that mm-hmm. church and they have to move out of the parsonage. They they don't have a place to live. They've not built any equity. And and if they're getting close to retirement age, they really don't have time to, to catch up either. Right. I've experienced that firsthand, you know, a a parsonage in Silicon Valley is super helpful because housing is so expensive. But when you transition out of ministry in the Silicon Valley and try to then go into a house, I mean, that situation for me was very challenging, very challenging to make that make that transition. Um, And so, Lars, any any thought on that, on what he just had to say? Um, Yeah, no, I think the the three legged stool thing you brought up earlier, the equity. thing and having uh having some some real assets um i think where we've we've kind of focused our um discussion has been on this idea of social security and um and then the pension idea and how you know maybe even within that uh model that churches often uh model after they're not modeling after the old pension model where the the onerous is on the organization to care for the pastor, but on, um, on the individual to contribute and, and those kind of things. So I'd be curious in your study, did you do any sort of research about, uh, churches matching or churches, um, bearing that burden at all, or was it just strictly on the pastor and his kind of role? Um, I haven't read your study, so Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar. Yeah. Well, I, I did not. Uh, both really were exploratory studies. The first, you know, the pilot study, and then even the second study, though it was um, branched out in other states, it really was still exploratory. Yeah. Um, 
And apparently no one has decided to move beyond the exploratory stage and, and do additional research with it. But that's uh, uh, a great question. I don't know if the ACU salary survey touches on that. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, there may be, you know, coming out of Harding or Fried Hardeman or, or Lipscomb or, or Pepperdine, there may be some, uh, some smaller, uh, perhaps non-representative uh, surveys that are being done that are quite uh, asking that question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's a great question. You know, what uh, as a part of a of a, uh, a minister's compensation package, is there some sort of a uh, contribution to a a retirement fund? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They have an aspect of of retirement. The package is, is part of their survey, but I, I I'm. Um... So I'm, I I can't answer that completely uh, correctly because it's been a while since I've looked at it. But there is something related to retirement they receive it or not uh, in the ACU salary survey. Mm-hmm. And just for specifics, it was 214 Church of Christ pastors in Texas, and then the national study was 207 Church of Christ pastors from around the country. Um, and in the pilot study and in the national study, you found that t- in, in both, 28.7 percent had no plan to fully retire which you said uh, a common theme was that 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 was a reason because of inadequate financial base in part due to a low salary and living in church owned homes. Can you expound any more than you already have uh, on that at all? Well, in, in addition to the, uh, the closed ended questions that were in the survey, there were also some places to add comments. And, and again, this would have to be considered anecdotal, but you know, there were, uh, there are respondents who indicated, I, I can't afford to retire. I simply have not had the opportunity to accumulate mm-hmm. enough resources to be able to uh, support myself in retirement, yeah. which yeah. uh, kind of goes back to a larger issue. I mean, w- when we think about retirement, uh, first of all, 100 years ago, only the extremely wealthy retired. In mm-hmm. fact, they probably never worked to begin with. But retirement mm-hmm. just wasn't a phase of life. Sure. And Social Security ushered in the idea of, you mean I can I can work, and then when I get into well, my, my 60s, I can not work anymore and still get paid. And so that ushered in this idea of, of retirement being a phase of life. Yeah. But for that to work, we have to earn a lot of money from our early 20s to our early 60s, mm-hmm. because we have, to, um, we have to pay our bills and support ourselves while we're working, while at the same time trying to make enough money to set aside so that we can have income when we're not working. Mm-hmm. Well, if if you don't get paid very much, then you need all the money you make right now, right now. to pay the bills right now. Mm-hmm. And the idea of saving for retirement is a wonderful concept, but it just isn't realistic. And so folks who don't get paid very much, including preachers who don't get paid very much, uh, they just aren't in a position to prepare themselves for retirement. Yeah, you're absolutely correct on that. Yeah, and Gilarducci says it's a majority of Americans um, that are going to be facing this kind of uh, retirement crisis as a result of uh, what she says, a broken retirement system and and, uh, traditional retirement vehicles that simply just have failed. They aren't doing what we want them to do or are using them for. Um, And one of the things that she says is causing this, precipitating this DIY retirement crisis is the switch from pension to 401k which took the responsibility from the employer providing the pension defined benefit to um, the 401k, which is the responsibility of the employee. And she's her, her conclusions are that the 401k is just a 40 year experiment, but it's also a 40 year failure. 
And she says, that's the number one cause, you know, cause we're using actually something, a vehicle that uh, was created the, that was a never intended to be used for, for the, for retirement, which says so she, she goes into a lot more in her, one of her books called rescuing retirement. And I based my study off of like her basic, like, Hey, here's the problem. How do we, how do we solve it? Um, but in question six, you mentioned <clears throat> that a primary implication of both studies was the need for free retirement education for pastors and for churches to take clergy retirement more seriously, which includes shifting away from outdated compensation models, the 20th century compensation models. What what do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> the, the outdated compensation model being, um, and again, this is very, very, very popular in smaller churches. Uh, we yeah. can't really afford to pay you a lot, but we can pay you a small salary and you can live in this nice house. Mm -hmm. uh, without paying any rent and, and we'll cover the utilities. Right. And, and again, as long as you're employed, that's, that's not a bad option, I suppose. But, uh, when you're no longer with the church, where are you going to live? And so you miss out on the, um, you know, the opportunity to build equity. Uh, I was looking the other day at, at some information and it's a couple years old, but for the typical homeowner over the age of 65, they have uh, close to $145,000 on average of equity in their home that they can tap into. Obviously, some have more than that, some have less. Well, if you spent your whole life living in a parsonage uh, or not owning your own home, you're missing out on a really important piece of, of, uh, of uh, uh, income or potential income uh, during one's retirement years. And so that becomes a problem as well. So that the outdated model is rather than than compensating uh, in a more generous way, um, kind of hoping that that the, the preacher will take it and see the house uh, that they get to live in for free as part of their compensation and consider that to be um, uh, fair compensation for the work that they were doing. And your estimation, was that fair compensation or no? <laughs> was it fair? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I think in reality, that's probably about all that some churches could do. Yeah. Um, you probably know this, but uh, roughly 70% of Church Christ congregations have fewer than 100 people in attendance. Right. Uh, roughly 90% of Church of Christ congregations have fewer than 200 people in attendance. Mm -hmm. And those are pre-COVID numbers. Yeah. And so there are a lot of churches that, you know, simply don't have the resources and never mm -hmm. have had the resources. And um you know, we we can see uh, really large Church of Christ congregations in 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 Dallas and Oklahoma City and Atlanta and Nashville, Nashville. things like yeah. that, and they really they're not representative of of our fellowship as a whole. We are a very uh, small and historically rural uh, fellowship, mm -hmm. which goes back to what Lars had mentioned the 1906 uh, shift in the census and sort of recognizing the the separation of disciples of Christ from the church of Christ. Well, when that happened, one of the realities was the church of Christ got a lot of the, um, of the small rural congregations that kind of mm -hmm. fell under our banner yeah. and, and more of the, the urban, uh, not exclusively, but more of the urban uh, congregations, you know, went with the, the disciples of Christ, um, uh, group. And so, uh, I, I, going back to your question, is it fair? Uh, probably not, but it may be all that was available. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, it's interesting. Um, cause Jordan and I 
similar time periods, both in churches in California. But uh, my eldership took a stance to uh, give us compensation that would allow us to live in other parts of, of uh, the city. And they then charged us market rate rent. And so I actually had a sticker price that was more than what I'm paying for my mortgage. Um, I have an 1800 square foot mortgage in Oregon now. And, uh, and it's cheaper than my rent to the church I was working at that was 600 square feet in California. Um, And, you know, so it was a little bit strange, but of course that's California prices versus Oregon prices. Um, But I, but I do appreciate now a little bit looking in the rearview mirror because at the time I thought you guys are ridiculous. You should be giving me a discount or great, you know, on this uh, church owned apartment. But I, I understand the heart and the desire for them not to let that become a crutch them and uh and they did increase my salary to try and keep pace with that um i pulled up the acu survey um results from 2022 mm-hmm. of course it's not you know I'm, I'm not looking at everything in it but i did scroll down and find the benefits section mm-hmm. and it i thought it was interesting there's a percentage of those that responded to the survey that don't have Mm-hmm. any retirement benefit from the church and it said right. 63%. Yeah. Um which is in keeping with the numbers we've been talking about um okay. on here and I thought it was interesting that the the amount the average amount of those with this benefit was uh $2900. Um which is uh you know that that's not a small amount but it's still not very much when we're talking about contribution to retirement. So mm-hmm. um just thought I would bring that. In, no, thanks. Uh, yeah. As we were talking about it already, but yeah, I have it in my paper. I just couldn't recollect it, but thanks for pulling that up and, and letting us know. That's good. Um, okay. And so when you say pre-retirement education for pastors, do you have, what, do you have anything particular in mind? Um, or you just say in general, this, we, we they, they really need this. Uh, well, um, many years ago, this is back from the seventies. Um, uh, Conrad Glass uh, published a study on, on um, uh, you know, just various things about um, pastors and and uh, job satisfaction and 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 things of that nature. And I think there was even some discussion there of uh, some pre-retirement education. Of course, it's very dated, not specific to Churches of Christ. Uh, I don't know that I have anything in in particular, any specifics that needed to be discussed, but yeah. uh, I would probably say that the pre-retirement education should also be provided to the eldership in the churches to yeah. let them um, uh, let them see the reality of of what you know their their preacher, their pastor, their minister might face in the future. And of course, you know it's rare that that a, a preacher is going to come to a church and stay for forty years. But, uh, you know, perhaps if they were, if the, the eldership was aware of some of the financial realities uh, that someone who commits their life to ministry, uh, you know, they might take a different, uh, a different approach. And, and again, this is something that would probably be handled best by, uh, you know, say a school like Abilene Christian University, since they have a salary survey, they're touching on some retirement things that, you know, creating some uh, some form of uh, retirement uh, education. 
-hmm. for preachers and for elders uh, might be a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Okay. So in both studies, uh, like you've already mentioned, uh, you revealed that COC pastors have a strong over-reliance on traditional retirement vehicles, social security, and the other one was IRAs, um, which you said were the primary uh, sources of income for them in retirement and the only sources of income that broke that 50, 50% utilization, like over 50% of participants, they're relying on those two things. And those were the only things that over 50% of those participants were relying on. So that was, you know, concerning. Um, and this falls in line with Gilarducci's research on how Americans are over-reliant on insufficient traditional vehicles, which she says is precipitating what she calls the American DIY retirement crisis. So based upon your study, it seems like Church of Christ pastors are a microcosm uh, of this DIY retirement crisis coined by Gilarducci. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, um, I've not read any of her work in detail. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know she's uh, published a lot. I'm sure mm -hmm. very, very well respected and, and um, uh, probably knows a whole lot more about that than I do. Uh, in, in some ways, though, I think being in ministry is is unique and might deserve its own um, its own category when considering retirement income and, and retirement options and motivations for retirement things of that nature uh, mm -hmm. and and you guys know because you you've been in full-time ministry uh, and, you know what I have is is anecdotal by talking uh, to folks who who have been in some cases for many years in ministry to be in full-time ministry has this unique combination of calling and vocation. Mm -hmm. And I know that that in churches of Christ, we've not been real fond of the expression of being called to ministry, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of, a lot of folks who enter the ministry feel drawn to it, even if they don't want to use the word call and they feel like it's something that they, they were meant to do. Um, and so it, that, I think, in some ways separates ministers from accountants and um, uh, from, um, you know, coal miners and, and other folks who, who, who have a job. But those who are in ministry sometimes feel called to that. And yet in the, in the middle of their calling, it's also their job. It's also their vocation. It's also the way that they're going about making their money to be able to uh, provide for themselves and for, for their family. And so... Um, when one considers, you know, retirement income models and, and um, all the various things that go into that, it's almost as if, um, you know, things that are being published in a, and are very solid in their own right might need to be tweaked slightly to be more applicable to those who are in, in, in an area like full-time ministry. Okay. Lars, any follow-up to what we've been talking about? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're you're right to have that instinct that um, there's there's something more to the the work that we're doing um, that the passion the kind of desire to just throw ourselves into the den uh, you know or into the fire um, and not count the cost maybe. Uh, we're drawn to to not be in this for the money. Obviously, I mean there are there are definitely those outliers where people yeah. uh, get into ministry because they think that they can't do anything else. But um, but I yeah I I feel that tug 
um, of to say, well, this is my ministry. This is my mission. This is how I'm serving God. Um, and I didn't get into it for retirement or I didn't get into it to be safe. Um, and, uh, and so we can easily become biased towards, um, putting pastors into mental health problems or anxiety problems or, uh, codependency behavior, um, which, I mean, I, maybe I'm projecting that a little bit too much onto the, the parsonage, um, idea, but I, I think there's some things there where we can, in helping industries like being a minister, uh, we can quickly blur those lines and it can be, be dangerous. I think retirement is a, um, again, for me, a helpful way we give permission to ministers to say, you don't have to be constantly doing into your seventies, eighties, you know, you, you are still useful to the church and useful to the kingdom of God. Um, past the time when maybe you can't hold your Bible anymore um, mm -hmm. and, and uh, speak from the pulpit. Um, so we want to make sure that you can flourish and, and contribute to the kingdom of God in, in other ways. Um, and I think retirement is part of that. So, uh, but I, I also lean towards Gilarducci's thing uh, uh, of seeing this DIY crisis. And so I'd be curious from your are you familiar with any, or have you done any bigger uh, research projects on retirement or uh, debt that don't have to do with Church of Christ ministers? Has your work as a sociologist um, kind of entered into that sphere outside of, of ministers? No, I've, I've focused on uh, aging and or generations in the churches and just kind of gone in different directions around that, uh, around that hub. So. Yeah. Uh, I've not moved outside of that. Largely, if I could uh, uh, follow up on something that, that you said, if we go back to the calling uh, versus vocation idea, uh, one of the things that I think pre-retirement education could tell uh, someone who's in full-time ministry is it's okay at some point to retire from the vocation of preaching, but you can still remain committed to your calling as a minister. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 uh, in results from the surveys, I think particularly the, the second study, there were a few folks who wrote that said, "I I, I I'm never going to retire. I can't retire yeah. because um, you know you don't retire from working for the Lord. You don't retire from ministry." And and that helped to to trigger my thought of uh, yeah, but you can retire from the job. You can retire from going, you know, and and doing many of the tasks that most of us who sit in the pews or, or, you know, or whatever kind of seating we have in the auditorium or sanctuary, I think um, many of us don't understand fully what, uh, what a, someone who's involved in full-time ministry does Monday through Friday. We know they're busy on Sundays, but we're not real sure what they do the rest of the week. And, uh, you know, like any kind of job, you can get tired of doing those tasks that are attached to ministry and tasks being separate from the actual ministry to people and helping people. Yeah. 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 Um, one sociologist I am aware of uh, by the name of Lisa Keister at Duke wrote a, did a study called conservative Protestants and wealth. And she found that conservative Protestants, which includes church of Christ are asset poor and particularly asset poor in retirement. Cause they have this like, 
the way they think about retirement is in some sense uh like it's not important or they have a negative view of retirement and saving for retirement is not important and uh her findings can be found uh her study can be found uh, online at least i found it for free and she has written on this subject uh in other places as well but i found that that to be to be interesting like okay what is it about the sociological origins of churches of christ that perhaps has led us to you know to be where we're at in terms of heavy reliance on social security and iras and not much more to offer parsonages and the compensation models and and such and to, for us to think about retirement in this way um to the point where yeah we are a microcosm of that retirement crisis so um yeah i found i found her research to be interesting as well um number eight uh guys question number eight uh, the most notable difference, and we've talked about parsonages uh, already and the negative effects of that, but you said the most notable difference between the two studies uh, was that fewer were living in a parsonage in the national study. It was 15% in the national study versus 30%, 32% in the Texas pilot study. Why do you think that was the case in, uh, in terms of that difference? I don't have a clear answer to that. Uh, mm. I'd have to go back and look at um, some of the, the characteristics of, of the respondents. Uh, when, we, when we did both studies, we, um, we used a probability sample. We used the uh, Churches of Christ in the United States as our sampling frame. And, and what we tried to do is we, we tried to include uh, in our sample um, churches that fit into the demographics I'd mentioned earlier. In other words, we didn't just survey churches where they had 500 people in attendance and, and, um, and, and describe this rosy situation. We tried to tap into the smaller churches because that's you know what most of the churches of Christ are. They have uh, attendance under 100 people on a typical Sunday. It's possible that when we did the national study that those who completed the survey and sent it back may have come from some larger churches. Uh, uh, we, I believe we sent out more surveys in the national study than we did in the, in the pilot study. And so there could have been some, you know, some sampling bias uh, in terms of, of, well, not sampling bias, but response bias in terms of those who chose to respond. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, I really don't have a, a, a good explanation. I'm not sure what I just said was a good explanation, but it's at least a possibility of how, uh, of how the, those numbers were different. Yes. Um, out of the three churches that I worked for within the 10 years within Church of Christ, and I was born and raised Church of Christ, you know, there three days a week, you know, and every time the doors were open. Uh, but out of the three churches I worked for in Columbus, Georgia, and Central Valley, California, and Bay Area, California, uh, I only lived in a parsonage once, and that was in the Silicon Valley. And when you move to the Silicon Valley, you're like, it's almost like you breathe a sigh of relief because, oh, there's a parsonage, thank goodness, because it's so expensive to live here. But then again, it's like, what do you do, like you're saying, when okay, you're not in ministry anymore? Um, it was a it was a tough situation. Um, and but, yeah. if, if I could just jump in, yeah. Um, and again, I'm approaching this as a researcher, and I'm I'm seeing, you know, if we're still focusing on the all the preacher's going to live in a parsonage, from the perspective of of many ministers, that might actually be a good thing if right. that was offered to them. Of hey. Yeah. I, mean, I get a house to mm -hmm. sign me up for it. Yeah. Uh, but again, from the perspective that, that we were looking at of retirement, it's on the other end. When you come mm -hmm. to the end of your career, 
if you've moved from from parsonage to parsonage, um, not only have you not built any equity, that's the financial side of it, but the the more immediate crisis is when the last church tells you uh, we don't need you anymore. Where do you live? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I'd be curious, you know, a place to to look also would be as assets have declined in churches of Christ, how many parsonages were sold um, in the last 20 years um, Mm. and your studies were about 10 years apart, almost 10 years apart. And um, that, that comes to my mind as I know several churches who, who sold their properties or, um, or were selling their parsonages um, sometimes. Now, the two churches I was a part of still own theirs, but um, but I do know that's been a, uh, a a piece of the conversation as well is asset um, assets being sold off. I know several universities have been uh, paying attention to that. How how do we uh, step into this conversation? Where is that money going? Where are those those properties going? Um, and I, I'm sure sometimes it's a selfish interest um, on the university side. But. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that's a good thought. You know, I, we Lars, we do need to look into that a little bit more. Perhaps if we can find somebody to bring on the podcast to talk about that, and uh, that I think about, think you've mentioned before. Um, question number nine: You found two clear patterns from both studies. And the first pattern was those who minister at larger churches are in a better position to fully retire than those at smaller congregations. And number two, pastors with no plan to retire were older, uh, work with smaller churches, and have been in ministry longer than those planning to fully retire. What do you draw out of those two clear patterns and similarities? Well, uh, you know, we've, I think, touched on this throughout our conversation. Yeah. Uh, larger congregations have more resources, typically. And with those, uh, with more resources, they're able to do more things. And they're able to attract, um, well, for lack of a better way of saying it, the better preachers, the more popular preachers. Uh, they can pay them more. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can can provide some fringe benefits that other churches don't provide. Um and so I think that's, you know, that's that's where that would come. And also I would suggest that in some cases, the elders at larger congregations may have a, a, a slightly better understanding of some of the reality, the financial realities uh, of, of life you know, now, paying bills now, but also towards the future. And so uh, there's there's that. Um, among those who, who were older, working with smaller churches, been in ministry longer, uh, we could probably talk in a lot of directions about that. Uh, we, we did not cross tabulate, but I'm willing to say that many of those ministers lacked uh, uh, a college degree in, okay. in terms of, of, of a preaching degree. Yeah. Uh, they may have gone to a preaching school mm-hmm. and you know got some training in that way, or they might simply be just they built some sermons over the years and, and uh, just you know tried to continue growing in that way. But once they got slotted uh, in working with the smaller churches and, and being slotted might just have been because of where they were geographically. Right. Um, right. You know, if you're in if you're in the northeastern part of the United States and you're going to be 
uh, in ministry in churches of Christ, you're going to be working with small churches. That's just right. the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Northwest is the same thing. You get into the Bible Belt, you improve the chances of being with a larger church. But there are plenty of small rural congregations mm-hmm. uh, in the Bible Belt. Oh yeah, uh, you simply don't have the resources. And so I think once the pattern gets started, uh, and and a, and a person begins to see they're getting close to the point where they're not going to be able to you know, be in full-time ministry anymore. And some of the realities begin to hit them about a lack of financial preparation, then, you know, they've got to keep trying to find a way to stay employed. And then there's the reality that they might face some ageism that the churches don't want an old preacher. And and that's a really tough spot to be in because uh, you don't have very many resources financially for your retirement and you can't get a full-time job with a percentage. And so now you're really in a bad spot. Yeah. Yeah. I know in my experience, I start out in the deep South, Columbus, Georgia. Um, and that congregation was about two two fifty, and they didn't offer any compensation packages in terms of uh, retirement benefits. Then I, when I moved out to California, uh, larger churches, better compensation, uh, packages, including retirement. So that was just my experience, which is interesting outside the Bible belt, I got better compensation, but they were also larger congregations. Lars, I don't know what it was. Your experience was. Yeah. So the, um, small church up here in the Pacific Northwest was mm-hmm. where I was doing part-time ministry while I was in college and they were, um, not doing much in terms of compensation packages. They had a, a part-time uh, pulpit minister then um we were kind of involved in the time where they went and searched for a full-time one i think my dad was on the eldership so he was bringing a, a different perspective uh to those guys um having been on in part of churches that had better uh packages in the past um but then moving to southern california a, a larger church in in that area 350 um, they had a, a retirement package, health insurance, um, and they had three parsonages. So okay. um, three, is that right? No, they had two. They had two parsonages. Um, but I wasn't one of the ministers that was in one because I was the low man on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. I like to say youth minister is so far down on the totem pole when the dog lifts his leg to pee on. He <laughs> pees right in your face. Um, Jordan's now regretting that I'm on the podcast. No, no. no. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's it, it was interesting. So then moved to uh, another church that was smaller, um, but in LA, and they uh, didn't have any sort of benefit package. They were mm-hmm. relying on spouse uh, at the time. One of the the ministers, his spouse, was making quite a bit and uh, had really good benefit package my wife was working for the school district same thing okay. so uh, over reliance on on spousal benefit package in my mind we when my first child was born we stopped uh, my wife stopped working full-time so that pushed them to do a, a lot of research and uh, up our compensation as well as um, health insurance stipend and then retirement was on the table for conversation but they were uh, both self-employed elders. And so I think that that's also a microcosm that you were, you were talking about mentioning that I, I don't think it's uh, malicious behavior by any means. I think these are just realities. Like these two guys had never 
been had an employer take care of them. They didn't have health insurance or retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of were treating me like a 1099 uh, contractor because they were 1099 contractors in every job that they've been a part of. And right. Um, right. so, you know, that's something to take into consideration too is, is our probably doing some research on the sociology of our elderships and um, not just the ministers that serve in our churches, but who are the, the elders that end up leading these churches and probably in these rural settings different um, than in those more urban, larger churches. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another question for you, and, and, we're, and we're winding down our conversation tonight. Um, and that is what did the fully retire group have in common and was there a big difference between the fully retire group in both studies and those who were partially or no retire group? Well, as a general statement, um, yeah. those who were able to say, yes, I'm planning to retire and, you know, could talk, you know, with some, some specifics about when the retirement would occur, they, uh, they had been in a better situation and um, they had been able to either on their own or perhaps with their spouse and, and her employment, they just, mm-hmm. they had resources that just weren't going to be available um, to those who are partially going to partially retire or not retire at all. And, and I think, uh, again, going back to something I'd mentioned just a moment ago, I think there, there, there existed among some of the respondents, the idea that I'm in ministry. I can't retire. People who are in ministry don't retire. You don't retire from doing the Lord's work. And I'm not sure they, they uh, again, recognize the, the distinction between their vocation and their, their calling. Anyone who claims to be a Christian is in ministry, and none of us retire from that. But that does mean we can't retire from our job, whatever our job happens to be. And some people, their job is, is preacher. Uh, and so, uh, you know, those who said, well, I'm going to partially retire, you know, maybe they were trying to find the balance between, you know, I want to stay in this, but I don't want to necessarily be doing this, uh, this full time. And, and, um, and then among those who said, I'm not planning to retire at all. I still go back to the idea that much of that was driven by financial realities that they, they just, they weren't going to be able to do it. They just did not see a way to be able to, um, uh, to stop doing what they they have been doing and, and not receive a compensation. They just weren't prepared for the retirement years. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lars, any follow-up to that? Yeah, so Jamie, in your mind, as, as kind of a researcher, what does that do to the future of our churches when we have ministers who can't retire? or um, Or what does it do to our churches to have ministers who are, are kind of holding on um, to their, their pulpits longer than maybe they, sh- they should. Uh, well, that probably depends on how attractive their pulpit is. Uh, you know, it, <clears throat> for some churches, very, uh, very sad to say, I'm not sure anyone else wants the pulpit. Uh, and it may be that the, the church is, is on its way to um, kind of die just as um, demographically. Yeah. And, and this goes to the thought of, again, uh, more in rural locations, 
um, because the demographics of that area have changed, the demographics of the of the church have changed, and it just reaches a point where the church may not be able to to exist uh, right. in the future. Um, now, in in some of the more attractive pulpit locations, um, yeah, if if someone says I'm not going to retire because um, um, you know, I'm not prepared to, or I don't want to, then yeah, that, that can, um, you know, sort of create a roadblock, I suppose, to, um, to those who are coming in behind and who are wanting, uh, wanting to move up, move into a bigger church. And, and, um, and I'm not quite sure how that would, uh, would impact their view, but I would imagine it would be frustrating to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. In your, you know, research on the generations thing, have you come into um, any information about like, I, I've heard a lot of Christian colleges kind of bemoan that there's a, not uh, a lot of people going into study ministry. And then I also hear uh, churches often bemoaning that there's, you know, open pulpits and uh, there's no one to fill the pulpits. Do you have any um, from a sociological research do you have any thoughts on that or is that coming into any of the conversations that you're doing on on the kind of i don't have anything in terms of of research but um i do ponder this uh that uh how many how many students who uh how many kids who go to a christian college to major in bible want to become a preacher how many of them come out on the day of graduation with thousands and thousands of dollars of school loans. And, uh, okay, we have one yeah. <laughs> and then probably many others. And while their heart may be good and they really want to be in ministry and they find a church of 120 who just are going to love them to death and be glad they're there and they can live in the parsonage, but they simply, they find they just can't afford that job they just don't have enough money to service the debt on their school loans and and you know pay for their living expenses and what they're doing um that's a, a completely different subject but that's i think a, a a deep 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 concern uh is that that you know some kids uh, while they are drawn to ministry they they kind of look at the financial realities and they and they realize I can't leave this college with 50, 60, 70, 80,000 dollars in school loans and go take a job that pays me thirty thousand dollars a year and gives me a house to live in. That just it just doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. And um man, uh there was something I was gonna say, but it just uh left my mind. Lars, do you have anything to follow up with that? Why try to remember? No, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we want to pursue, you know, further ways of, of asking that question. What is good ministry preparation? You mentioned uh, some, you know, people coming to the pulpit later in life and, and things having jobs that maybe have provided retirement for them. um, That kind of changes the the picture. Uh, We're finding some success here in the Northwest with uh, second career vocational pastors or mm. um, or semi-bivocational or co-vocational pastors who are um, coming to ministry later in life, but they don't need a, a sizable income. And in many ways, it's almost mm. uh, a uh, an addition to their Social Security or other things as they take on a church of 50 or 60 or even mm. less. Um, 
and whatever the church is able to pay is uh, is helpful to them in their retirement, but is not necessary for them to live on because mm-hmm. they already own their house and have either a pension or Social Security or other forms of retirement. And um, and so we're you know we're asking some questions about is it the best model of ministry to have uh, a 22 year old show up to these pulpits where they may not um, be uh, be as prepared. And then on the other side, as I have a stake in the game with regards to education, are we, um, could we pursue some assets, some ways to say that uh, at the Christian college level, if you study vocational ministry, you don't come out with debt. And I think there's endowments at these Christian colleges, um, Bushnell included, that should be able to pursue that um, kind of a, a compensation model where we stop uh, burdening 22 year olds with mountains of debt if they're going to go into ministry full time. Wow. Um, so I, I would love to see other people pursue that. I think we've talked a little bit about several ways in which more research needs to be done. And, um, and I'd hope that, that someone will pick up that mantle. No. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Lars, like as, as one who was burdened with some debt and and still has debt as a result of going to college to study Bible to be a minister. Just kind of like, I think back now, I'm like, what was I thinking? I I should have done a different something. I mean, I still want to do ministry, but there's had to be a different way for me not to have all this debt on the back end of it and not really be able to pay it off very well within ministry itself. Um, So I'm hoping for, Hey, Joe Biden, uh, you know, please forgive my debt. Um, But uh and it also, it just seems like the, from the very beginning of the movement, uh, disciples in the early, what, 19th century, it kind of seems like the ecclesiological setup itself failed within that first generation where ministers were unable to support themselves. And, you know, elders were meant to be paid. They couldn't, most churches couldn't pay them. And and evangelists, you know, coming in and, and there being some, you know, conflict there between elders and evangelists and, and supporting evangelists and evangelists not being able to continue that work because of lack of support, because congregations simply just couldn't. Um, so there's something uh, which I've kind of tried to explore uh, in my paper and in, in my research in terms of what from our history has like led to like this moment where a lot of our, mm-hmm. our pastors are where they're at in terms of uh, retirement preparedness financially. But um is there any parting wisdom, Dr. Knapp, uh, or advice or encouragement that you would have for pastors and or churches in within this context of the American DIY retirement crisis? Uh, well, I don't know that I have uh, uh, recommendations or sage advice. I think I have an observation. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and this comes, again, from just talking with, with ministers who are close to retirement or have retired. Uh, when a preacher talks too much about money, he is seen as being greedy. And so it's a very, very fine line that preachers have to walk uh, between, you know, trying to be compensated at a level that's fair and that, you know, allows them to, you know, to cover the obligations they have. Uh, and so I think, uh, you know, because preachers have to walk that fine line, they need another voice. And, and some of the motivation for the two studies I did was to try to be the voice. Uh, I don't know how many people listened or read, but um, Jordan, I think you had picked up on the article that was published in the Christian Chronicle. Mm-hmm. 
I did. After I did the study, I uh, I contacted the Christian Chronicle and I gave them the information. Okay. Uh, because they had published uh, a story about the grain of the flock, and so you know okay. we had already you know had a little bit of contact with one another, and so when I did this study, I contacted them and I said, hey, I just finished a study on you know ministers and retirement. Do you have any interest in this? And they they were very interested. And if if you read that article. You see that they, there's a little bit of research in it, but they, you know, they went out and, and made it more of a newspaper magazine article, which was mm -hmm. perfectly appropriate. They interviewed a, fo a few folks, put a few pictures in. Um, and that's the sort of voice that needs to be given to this, because I think when an individual preacher starts saying, hey, I think you really need to be compensated more. Well, they can get labeled as, you know, being in it for the wrong reason. But when there's a voice that's trying to say to many, many, many churches or to a whole fellowship, but we need to uh, we need to pay more attention to the way we're compensating those who've committed their life to ministry, and yeah. um, need to understand that they don't work just work on Sundays. I mean, they they're really you know they're seven day a week kind of folks. The, the minister, particularly at smaller churches, is pretty much doing everything: the weddings and the funerals, and they're working with the kids, and they're working with the you know, and and, and we just need to be aware of that. And and when they get too old to be able to hold a full-time position or no church is interested in them, we can't just cast them aside. We've, we've got to help them uh, be prepared for the, those later years uh, in life. Yeah. And there is a definite correlation between the article they just came out with, with like, Hey, where's all the pastors? Where are, where's all the ministers? We've got these empty pulpits. There's a definite correlation between that article that just came out and what we're talking about today. Um, and that's for one of probably many reasons why perhaps churches of Christ are at where they're at right now. Um, all right, Dr. Knapp, thank you very much for being a part of this podcast episode with us tonight. Lars, do you have anything you want to say as we bid farewell? Well, just incredibly grateful uh, for you and um, for your work. And I would hope that uh, you continue to push our universities to hire more uh, researchers and sociologists and, uh, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate uh, your your work there. I'm I'm looking forward to reading uh, the grain of the flock and and some other things that you've mentioned today too. Just because uh, I'm I'm dealing with that uh, cross denominational right now with independent Christian okay. churches, uh, churches of Christ and disciples of Christ up here in the Northwest. And um, so keep uh, keep writing on those things uh, when it comes to aging. I think it's it's in, important work. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I thank you for inviting me to be a part of your podcast, and I appreciate very much your work and encourage both of you to keep doing what you're doing, because I mm -hmm. think you're doing wonderful and very important uh, things that are going to be a benefit to many people. We hope so, and we hope that this, uh, along with uh, what the Christian Chronicle has done and kind of giving a voice to your study several years ago, that this gives more of a voice to what you have done and what others may do in the future. So again, thank you very much. Thank All right, you. guys. Yep. To our viewers and to our listeners, we'll see you next time uh, on the Almost Essential Podcast. Goodbye. Once again, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Almost Essential Podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to reach out, you can connect with me, Jordan Koss, on Facebook or Instagram. We hope this series is a valuable resource for you, pastor or otherwise. And remember, you are not almost essential. Your role and service in the church is essential, as well as saving for retirement within your holy vocation and calling.